and welcome to episode 9 of the Atlanta Man podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rogers. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the start of the Atlanta Hawks Eastern Conference Finals against the Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, we will also get into some Atlanta Brave stuff, including um, some pretty brutal news on Mike Soroka. But before we get into that, we will start off with the Hawks. And uh, they have played the first three games of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, they are down 2-1 currently, and um, I'll get into the game-by-game action right now, starting with Game 1 in Milwaukee. Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time since the 2014-2015 season where they faced LeBron and the Cavs. They got swept in that series, so in the entire history of the Atlanta Hawks. They have never won a game in the Eastern Conference Finals. So it's only the second time they've ever been here. And uh, we'll start with the game one action now. Uh, first thing of note is that Cam Reddish was available to play in this game for the first time in four months. First time since February, actually, since Cam was actually available to play in a basketball game. Uh, and Bogdan was able to play and start. So he had the knee thing at the back end of the Philadelphia series, and um, he was cleared to play and start for the Hawks. So those were the two big big injury news, both positive for the Hawks before game one. So we can start on the action right now. Um, Trey Young, he got a super hot start in this game. Uh, scored eight of the first ten points for the Hawks, but um, they still trailed 13-10. to 10 at the first timeout. Um, one of the things you, I noticed early was that Bogdan did not look very good to start this game. Uh, just hasn't really, didn't really look um, comfortable on that knee. I'm um, just kind of hobbling around, wasn't his normal self, wasn't like uh, looking like the number two option for this team like he's been all year. So it is a tough start for him for sure, but it just didn't look incredibly good. Um, but they do uh, get him out of there early as they put uh, Gallinari and Solomon Hill in for Bogdanovich and Capella with five minutes left in the first. And uh, the, f- the first quarter really had some bad three-point shooting from both teams. Um, in the first quarter, the Hawks went one for 10, and the Bucks went two for 11 in the, in the first, first quarter. And Milwaukee's been a really good three-point shooting team all year, so... Really, really bad start uh, from behind the arc for both teams. But uh, the Hawks do get a three. They're only three of the first quarter on the final possession from Lou Williams. Um, it was his only bucket of the game, but he hits a three in the final possession. It was a pretty rough quarter all around for the Hawks, but they only trailed by three at the end. It was 28-25 to 25, Milwaukee after one. So headed to the second, and the Bucks scored the first four points of the second quarter. That prompts uh, Nate McMillan timeout for the Hawks just one minute in. Um, and 34 of the first 38 points in this game for the Bucks came in the paint. And um, that's a trend that persists throughout the first three games of the series. And hopefully the Hawks will find a way to stop it. We'll get more into that later. Um, and then Trey and Collins both check back in. And they both have an immediate impact. Um, mostly because Jeff Teague was on Trey, which is just a mind-boggling decision by uh, Budenholzer. I love Jeff T. He's one of my favorite Hawks of all time, but at this stage in his career, I mean, never been a defense-first guy, really, and especially at this stage in his career. Him guarding Trey Young just makes no sense, and Trey had his way with him. Um, back-to-back threes for Trey when Jeff T. was guarding him. And, um, yeah, just really bless his heart. I love Jeff T., but 
it was it was pretty insane the minutes he was getting, especially considering he was on Trey. I mean, I guess Budenholzer just wanted, wanted to give it a shot, see if uh, he could find something there, a Trey stopper, but that that was not even close to being the case. Um, the Hawks go on a run after trailing by nine, as many as nine, um, but the Bucks do score the final four in in a set in the second to go by five at the half. So Hawks trail fifty nine to fifty four at the half. Um, Trey Young had twenty five at the half, and they still trailed. So um, it kind of shows the disparity of uh, the the help Trey has been Trey was getting in the first, but uh, this did come around in the second half. Um, they were five of eighteen on threes, but they were shooting sixty six percent on twos. So not great three point shooting, but they were when they were inside the arc, they were shooting the ball fairly well. Um, they did have eight turnovers, so something that they could clean up in the second, and we'll get into the second half right now. Um, Trey gets his third foul in the first minute of the third quarter, um, which was at the time pretty pretty big call, but um, you know, Trey isn't a guy that uh, gets a lot of fouls called on him, so he only fin- he finishes the game with only the three, so he didn't get called for a foul the, re- the rest of the game. So didn't become a factor, but was something to look out for early in the third. Uh, the Hawks go on a 7-0 run to tie, and that was capped by a three-pointer from Trey. So they get the game back tied. Uh, Trey had 30 points halfway through the third quarter. And then the Hawks go on a 14-4 run to go up by eight. Um, in the run, there were just two insane highlights that were just all over the place after they happened, um, both by Trey Young. He went, an, he went with an off-the-backboard pass to John Collins that uh, Collins slammed home and just a really insane play to even try in any game, even like a regular season game, but especially the Eastern Conference Finals in game one. Um, but it worked. And then Trey, just a few plays later, is wide open for a three, and I mean wide open, and he hits he hits, it with, he hits this with a shimmy before he shoots it, which is just, uh, that's pretty ballsy because if you miss that, then it's it's not looking good. But he makes it with the shimmy, so in the matter of like, Three minutes of real time. Trey just uh, blessed us with two highlights that are going to be played for a long time um, for the Hawks and uh, just pre- pretty much everywhere. Um, but moving on from there, um, John Collins, like I said, Trey got some help in the second half, and a lot of it was John Collins. He was awesome in the third quarter and really the entire second half. Um, but the Hawks don't finish the third well as they lead by three to end it after being up as many as eight in the third quarter. Uh, but Trey had 37 points after three quarters, uh, which is pretty, pretty good, if you ask me. Um, so we'll head to the fourth, and uh, they open up the fourth without Trey, getting him some rest to start the fourth, and they survive those minutes as they're only minus one in just the three and a half minutes without Trey. Um, Giannis fouls Trey on three, where he kind of just graces him in the face. Like, just, I think he slight, like, slightly like gets him in the eyeball. But just kind of a dumb foul by Giannis. Like, it just looked pretty dumb um, that that even happened. Um, which results in Trey hitting two of the three at the line and puts the Hawks up two with five minutes left at a timeout. So that was a pretty big play um, to get the Hawks back up in that game. You know, you'd like, to, you'd like for Trey to hit all three, but getting the two is just fine right there. But then, right after the Bucks going a 9-0 run in 67 seconds out of the timeout, to go, it goes from Hawks being up two to the Bucks being up seven, and then Atlanta burns another timeout. 
So just a pretty disastrous sequence. Giving up nine points in 67 seconds is bad enough, but if you don't score any either, it's really bad. And uh, being down seven at this point, it, it was looking like this was Milwaukee's game to lose. I mean, there's only a little over four minutes left in the game, and they're up by seven. And home team, good team, you think they might close it out, but wasn't the case. Uh, the Hawks get a dunk from Collins and an and one from Trey out of the timeout to cut the lead to two. So a pretty big sequence right there for the Hawks. Uh, then the Hawks go solo for Gallinari down the stretch for defense. And then there was a huge sequence where the Hawks missed two shots, but they get two offensive rebounds. And it ends with John Collins hitting what I think was probably the biggest shot of the game, uh, corner three where Trey finds him. And it uh, goes from Hawks down four to down one with two minutes left. If Collins doesn't hit that shot and the Bucks get one of those rebounds, whatever happens, and they go down and score and they're up six or seven with two minutes left, things are looking pretty bleak for the Hawks there. So I think that was the biggest shot of the game. Um, so yeah, Hawks are only down one with two minutes now. Um, and then the score will stay the same until Capella gets another offensive rebound and he puts it back with 30 seconds left to put the Hawks up by one, which nothing was nothing happened in between this and the Collins three. Um, both teams just got some stops, but just another huge offensive rebound for the Hawks. Um, then we go the buck to the ball back, and Connaughton gets a pretty good look on a three, but he airballs it, and then the Bucks have to foul. So Trey hits two free throws after they foul. Hawks go up by three, and then um, for some reason, another pretty weird play from the Bucks. Uh, Holiday passes it to Giannis in the paint, down three, and then um, smartly the Hawks just intentionally foul Giannis, and um, he makes both the free throws. But just um, when you need a three there and you are pushing it in the paint to Giannis, like it's just you got you to look for something. You don't have to get a three there, but giving it to Giannis, knowing they're going to foul him immediately, is just not the best option. It didn't really kill them, but, you know, you still probably would have liked to take a three there. Um, then they foul Trey again after Giannis makes his free throws. He makes both of his. And then uh, Middleton got a pretty good look on a three at the buzzer to tie it, but he misses it, and the Hawks win. They survive. They come back down seven with four minutes left. Uh, big shot by Collins down the stretch. Big offensive rebounds. Trey Young was incredible. Um, just probably the best playoff game of his career. And uh, the Hawks win 116-113. to 113. Um, Some big takeaways from this one is that the Bucks had 70 points in the paint, which um, I'll talk about this more in talking about games two and three. But that's just too much. You can't really live with that if you're the Hawks. you got to cut that down to like 50-ish because they're just doing whatever they want in the paint, and um, that continued in game two and games two and three. Um, John Collins, like I said, had a huge second half. He had 17-9 and nine after the half. Just really, really came in for some support for Trey after Trey really just carried the whole team in the first half. Um, and then Trey Young, uh, he's the first ever player in the history of the NBA to have at least 45 points and 10 assists in a game in the Eastern, in the Conference Finals in general. So the first ever 45 and 10 game in the Conference Finals history in the entire NBA, which uh, pretty crazy. So that's never happened before in the history of the league. And uh, really props to Trey Young, just an awesome game. You know, very efficient to you, 17, 34, 4 of 13 on threes, at 11 assists. Um, seven rebounds too, which is high for Trey. 
Um, so just an awesome performance by him. And Collins, he finishes a 23 and 15, 11 of 16 shooting. He was awesome. Capella has 12 points and 19 rebounds. Really good game from him. Um, Herder had some good good minutes, uh, 13 points, um, five of 12 on from the field. Really good game from Herder and off the bench. Gallinari had nine, and um, that was pretty much it for the bench productivity. Lou Will only had three points on that three to end the first quarter. And then uh, Bogdanovich, only four points, 0-2 from threes, 1-6 of six from the field. Just didn't really have it. Only played in 27 minutes. So, yeah, you know, not not a not a great game from Bogdan, but he is hobbled. So that that did play a factor in it. Um, we'll move on to the Bucks' individual performances. And uh, Giannis had 34 points. He was really good in this game. Um, 34 points on 14-25 shooting. Made six of his eight free throws, had 12 rebounds, nine assists, really good. Um, one guy that did struggle for the Bucks was Chris Middleton. Uh, 15 points, he was minus 13 and was shot six of 23 from the field and went 0 of 9 from three. Uh, the Bucks as a team went 8 of 36 from three as the Hawks went um, four t- um, 8 of 32. So not much better from the Hawks. But uh, better than the Bucks. So, like I said, there was bad three-point shooting in this game. Um, one guy that did step up was Drew Holiday. He shot 14 of 25 from the field and 5 of 12 from three and finished with 33 points and 10 assists. So he was awesome for the Bucks, but it wasn't enough to cover up just the bad shooting from Middleton, bad overall shooting from the whole team. He was really the only one that was really knocking down threes at an even passable rate was Drew Holiday. So... Yeah, Hawks get game one in Milwaukee, which is huge. You know, this puts all the pressure on the Bucks for game two. You know, when you're when you're the road team in these playoff series, you got to take one of the first two games on the road. You got to leave there with a split at least for yourself to have a good shot in the series. And that's, and that's what the Hawks have guaranteed themselves by winning game one. And now I'll move on to game two, which was not as fun. Um, <laughs> game two, the Hawks get absolutely bludgeoned. Um, by the Bucks. Uh, I'll get into it now. Um, start off the game, Bogdan available again. He starts and Cam Reddish available again. He doesn't get some playing time this game. We'll get into that later. But to start the game, Bogdan gets two fouls in the first minute, 44. And uh, that prompts McMillan to bring in Solomon Hill for him. And then the Hawks start off the game with three points on the first seven possessions for the Hawks offensively. So it's 7-3 Milwaukee at the first timeout. And uh, the Bucks were really playing aggressive on defense early, um, not really letting Trey even touch the ball. Um, he had one shot; it was a floater, and he made it. Um, that was early on. Uh, but then Trey, he does get going after that was six points, two of them on an inbound steal, which is a nice play by Trey. Uh, but the Bucks were hitting their threes early, unlike Game One. They're four for four on threes early in the game. Um, but the Hawks get get going offensively later. But the Bucks continue to knock down threes too. So. It didn't really matter what the Hawks did offensively because the Bucks just had an answer for it on the other side. Um, Gallinari coming off the bench, he had nine points in three minutes, which the Hawks needed um, desperately, and they only trailed 34-28 to 28 after one, which is pretty fortunate of how hot the Bucks were and how bad the Hawks started offensively. So only being down six is a huge win. Um, and now we head into the second quarter, and this is where things just absolutely fall apart. Um, the Bucks hit their 8-3 of the game early in the second, which matches their total from game one. So that just shows you how bad they were in game one and how hot they got in game two. 
Um, and then the wheels fall off the, the wheels fall off the bus shortly after. Um, but before they do, Cam Reddish does return. This is his first action since February 21st. Um, his first five-on-five five action since then. And this is his first time actually playing in a game with Nate McMillan being the head coach, which is just pretty weird to think about. Um, McMillan was an assistant while uh, Cam was playing, but you know the first time McMillan being the head coach and Cam out on the floor in the Eastern Conference Finals, but he does return. And then um, that is where the happiness ends because the, the Bucks go on a 20-0 run. 20-0 run. And... Um, you know the game wasn't over when this happened, but um, hindsight being twenty twenty, it was over after this happened because the Hawks just didn't go on a run, didn't have any comeback after this. The Bucks just took over the game from there. Um, turnovers were the main issue, thirteen of them um, for the entire team, um, and eight for Trey, and uh, the Hawks trailed seventy seven to forty five at the half. And, um, yeah, like I said, after a 20-0 run, that was pretty much the ball game. Um, and being down by 32 at the half, uh, you know, the Hawks had some comebacks in that Philadelphia series, but, um, you know, you held out some hope maybe they could pull out some more magic. But um, that just didn't happen in the second half. They really didn't even go on a run. Um, the Bucks just kind of maintained their lead. Hawks cut into it a little bit, but, like, only got it down to, like, the high 20s. Uh, they end up losing 125 to 91. A lot of garbage time in this game. Um, the one positive that I do want to point out from this game is that Cam Reddish got to play down the stretch in the garbage time, which was some low intensity five on five action, and um, that's that's what he needed to get like back in the swing of things. Um, he he finished. He had a pretty good game. He had um, 11 points uh, in 17 minutes, four of 10 shooting, one of th- one of three from threes, uh, two rebounds. So. You know, getting back in the swing of it, uh, he doesn't play at all in Game 3, which um, we'll get into that when we get there, but um, I thought he probably should have. Um, but there's really nothing you can really take away from the box scores in this game uh, for the Hawks. Um, Trey plays 28 minutes, um, had 15 points, uh, 3 assists. Collins, 24 minutes, 11 points, 5 and 9 shooting. Uh, Capella, only 2 points in 25 minutes with 8 rebounds. Bogdanovich only played 18 minutes. Herder played 30 minutes, had eight points. Um, yeah, there's just really nothing. Like the Hawks were bad, really bad. Uh, nine of 36 from three. They only shot 41 percent from the field. Uh, the Bucks shot 36.6 percent from three and 52 percent from the field. So yeah, just um, pretty disastrous game from the Hawks. But you just gotta, you just gotta put it behind you and head to game three. You know, you, you gotta you gotta look at the positive of the Cam Reddish thing. You get, you're getting your players some rest. Um, and then you you head back home for game three. So you got out there with a split. You got out on Milwaukee with a split, and that's what you have to do. And that's what they did. They did their job. And um, in a vacuum, it's 1-1, and you'll take that every day of the week um, against this Bucks team. Uh, so we'll head into game three now, which was a uh, pretty, pretty frustrating loss. Um, a very winnable game for the Hawks, but just some very weird and um, unfortunate things happening uh, late in this game. And especially in the second half, uh, just really hurt the team's chances to win. Um, we'll start off in the start of the game with the Hawks forcing three turnovers and two buckets as a result in the opening minute 30 as they lead 7 to nothing to start the game after a three from Kevin Herter, and they go on a 15-2 to run to start the game. So the Hawks 
doing what the Bucks pretty much did in uh, game two, but just even better. Uh, just a super hot start. The Hawks were super aggressive defensively. They're knocking down shots, really doing it all. Uh, the intensity on the defensive side was the most impressive part. I'm um, just getting all the turnovers and the takeaways they were getting was just really nice. Um, but Milwaukee's early offense was pretty dreadful. And um, But a lot of it was the Hawks' defense just showing up and just being really good. But it did slip as the quarter progressed. Um, you know, they really just didn't keep the same intensity defensively, and the Bucks were able to weasel their way back into things. And um, after one, they only lead by five, 32 to 27, after leading by as many as 15. Um, so, yeah, you would like to be up more than five after being up by as many as 15 and starting the game off seven to nothing and 15 to two. You would like to be up by more than five. So if you're Milwaukee, you're probably feeling good. It's how, how the Hawks felt in game two after the first quarter. Um, but to start off the second, there was no Trey Young, and the Hawks break even in uh, those minutes, which he sat for four-plus minutes. So um, tie, they tied those minutes, which is a huge win for the Hawks when the non-Trey minutes. Um, but then Nate goes with a very defensively challenged lineup, I'd say. Uh, after that, he goes Trey Young, Lou Williams, Bogdanovich, Gallinari, and Collins. So you're looking at really only one above-average defender on the floor, which is Collins. Um, so... Gallo was the one that was especially hurting them defensively because he was getting matched up on Giannis a good bit. But um, he he made up for it offensively because he was hitting shots. So you can live with it if he's going to be hitting shots. But, yeah, it was it was pretty rough defensively. The Bucks kind of doing whatever they wanted on Gallinari. Um, the Hawks have a nice 8-0 run, um, which was, had a uh, logo three from Trey and a uh, three from Kevin Herter on a kind of broken possession where the ball was heading out of bounds, but Trey smacks it back in right to Herter, wide open in the corner, and they hit a three, so a really good run. But then the Bucks went a 10-0 run at the end of the second to tie the game. And um, Gallinari had some bad offensive moments um, to end, this, end the second, too, um, along with his bad defensive play in this one, too. But the, the Hawks just had no answer for Giannis in the paint in this first half at all. And the game was tied at half, 56-56. to 56. So, like I said, the Hawks got the super hot start, but just really couldn't uh, keep the intensity going to really just kind of break away in this one. So, game's tied at the half. Um, you know, it is what it is at this point. Um, you're still in it, obviously, but you would like to be up more at this point. Um, heading into the third. And a big play to start off the third was John Collins picked up his fourth foul in the first minute of the third. And, you know, you got to sit him at that point. Um, it was a really huge call in the moment. Um, but the main issue came with Nate McMillan sitting Collins for 14 minutes after this call. 14 minutes that Collins missed. So McMillan essentially fouls Collins out of the game for him. Um, you know, this is, this is the playoffs. John Collins has been he's probably the second-best player on the Hawks right now, and you have to play him. You know, you have to play him until the rules of the game don't allow him to play anymore. You know, I understand he had four fouls. I understand taking him out right here. I'm not saying you should have left him in early in the third, but for to sit in for 14 minutes is insane. You know, that was a really rough, rough look for McMillan, um, I must say. But um, we'll move on from there. We'll get in, get more into that um, in the in the takeaways from the game. But uh, Trey has 11 minutes in the first four minutes and 38 seconds of the third. Um, but the Bucks do take an 82 to 80 lead, despite Trey having 11 points in the 
first four minutes. Um, but they the Hawks do go back up 85 to 82, and then Trey is taken to the locker room after he was walking backwards kind of in steps on the ref's foot, which um, the ref was out of bounds. There's been a lot of discussion of if the ref was too close to the court, but the ref was out of bounds, like barely. Like his, like the tip of his toe was like on the border of the court and the and the out of bounds paint. So I like like he was out of bounds. It's just kind of a freak accident. I see a lot of people just like really mad at the ref, which I get, but it just seems like kind of a freak accident. Um, maybe he should be back a little further. I don't know what, if there's like any like rules for the refs of how far they have to be away from the court for so these things kind of um so these things can't happen Uh, maybe he should have been back further maybe that is something they're taught and he just wasn't as far back as he thought he was um but trey taken to the locker room and um which was notable but it was also his kind of regularly scheduled rest too so maybe they're just being very precautionary he's like hey you're hitting the bench anyway let's just go take a look at it um and that's what i thought because he does come back into the game early in the fourth. We'll get into that in a minute. But um, Collins does not come back in the third, like I mentioned. Um, misses pretty much the entire third quarter um, after picking up that fourth foul. And the Hawks have an 85-83 to lead heading into the fourth. So the Hawks lead. So no Collins to open up the fourth. And there's a pretty egregious no call on a Gallinari shot on, um, that should have been a shooting foul. It wasn't called. And everybody, everybody just kind of stopped. Because everybody just assumed that it was a foul because it was just pretty blatant, but um, the the Bucks just pretty much pick up an easy uh, dunk from Bobby Portis after that happened. So easy two points for the Bucks after the no call. So that was a pretty big swing in uh, Milwaukee's favor. Um, but the Hawks do take a uh, 93 to 88 lead after a Lou to a Kongwu dunk, um, which is something you don't see every day. But um, it was it was nice to see uh, Lou and a Kongwu kind of hooking up on the Trey and Clint special with that uh, lob. Um, but then, um, speaking of Trey, he returns with 8.44 left in the fourth. So, you know, at that point, you're thinking, all right, he just went back there for precautionary reasons. He's all good. It was just, they're just making sure, yada, yada, yada. Uh, still no Collins, but he does check in with 8.25 left. So they kind of just back to back enter the game, and then you're thinking, all right, let's go. Let's finish this thing out. Um, but that just doesn't happen. Um, one thing I want to note before we get into some uh, bleak moments of the game was that Anyaka Kagu, he had the he had the lob from Lou for some points, and he was really good in this game. Um, really good defensively, um, had some buckets offensively, got some good rebounds. He's been really good in the playoffs overall. Been really impressed by Kagu, but yeah, some really good minutes in the fourth for Anyeka. But the fun kind of stops there because the Bucks go on an 8-0 run after the Hawks are go up um, by as many as seven. They led 95. 88 and the Bucks on an 8-0 run to go up 96-95 and then Chris Middleton has 11 points in a minute and 59 seconds for the Bucks and it puts them up 101 to 98 and the Hawks call a timeout and that was really the story of the fourth was Chris Middleton turned into Michael Jordan and I'm not even kidding he had 20 points he went five of six from three he was incredible in the fourth after being just kind of mediocre in the first two games but he he had um probably the quarter of his life and um, really good timing for it honestly, for the Bucks, um and then you know things really just kind of fall apart from there. Um, Hawks couldn't buy a bucket and Chris Middleton continued to just knock down shots, and Trey just you could visibly tell he had won three after coming back into the game, 
but I, I don't know if he scored after that. I'll have to go back and look, but he was just not himself. You could tell that he was really favoring that ankle after um, he stepped on the ref's foot, and the Hawks just couldn't buy a shot in the last minutes. No one was hitting anything. Um, they had good looks for Trey, good looks for Herter. Nothing. They couldn't get nothing, and the Chris Milton just was just hitting threes, just preposterous threes of hands in his face, just still hitting everything. He was incredible in the fourth. Credit to him. He was awesome. Really frustrating, though. Just really frustrating. I mean, just some really unfortunate things happening to the Hawks. The Trey thing is obviously the first one, the main one, I should say. Um, then the Collins thing, too, was just really frustrating. He should have been in this game a lot more. Um, and then Middleton just going off. You know, if one of those three, three things goes differently, this might be a different game. Um, especially the Trey thing. Especially the Trey thing, you know. You know, I think if Trey doesn't do that, the Hawks probably win. Um, I, don't, I know that's just kind of like it's hard to like predict and just see what's going to happen. Like Chris Milton probably is still going to go off, but Trey is going to be able to have some answers throughout the fourth. But I think in my heart of hearts, you know, I'm a biased Hawks fan. If Trey doesn't step on the rest foot, the Hawks win. And um, that's just really unfortunate that uh, that, that happened. And um, some numbers regarding the Trey injury. After that injury happened, the Hawks were outscored by two touchdowns, a football score of 31-17 to 17 after Trey got hurt. So, not good. Just getting outscored 14 after that happened, I don't think that happens if Trey gets hurt. That just doesn't happen. You know, they might get outscored a little bit. You know, maybe maybe they don't win. Maybe they do. It's You can't really tell, but I think the Hawks win because I think Trey is going to go crazy in the fourth quarter if he's 100%. Um, he had an MRI on after the game. In, the press game, in, the, in his press conference after the game, he said that it was hurting, so just really not good at all for the Hawks. Um, if Trey isn't 100% in the series, they're not going to win. I'm just going to say that now. Um, he's got to he's got to be at least close. He's got to be 95 and up percent percent wise of his health. You know, he's been he's had that shoulder thing bothering him, which um, you know doesn't really really seem to be affecting him in this series. But um, he. He has got to be good. He has got to be right, or the Hawks are not going to – they're probably not going to win another game in the series. They're going to end up getting um, gentlemen swept and lose four, four to one in five games. So I really don't want that to happen. But, um, yeah, that's just the reality of it. If if uh, Trey is not going to be at his peak powers in this series, you know. The one game they've won in this series, Trey had 48 points, and they really needed every bit of it. And um, you know, and they end up losing by they end up losing by eleven in this game. You know, it wasn't that lopsided, but you know, because the the Hawks couldn't make a bucket in the last few minutes, and Chris Miltz was hitting everything. But one thirteen to one hundred two, they lose by eleven. It's back to back double digit losses. Even though this really wasn't a double digit loss in the grand scheme of things of the game, but you know, just a very frustrating loss. And I woke up this morning and I was like, gosh, man, like if one thing goes differently, one little thing. You know, might have a different game. Might be up 2-1. But Trey still finishes with 35 points. <laughs> he was really good. 12 of 23 shooting, 6 of 14 from 3, um, 4 assists. He was awesome in this game. Um, Collins only played 23 minutes in this game, which he only ended, he ended the game with 4 fouls. Like, it was just ridiculous, man, that he that he uh, got fouled out for him by Nick McMillan. Um you know, he was 6 of 8, 1 of 2 from 3. He's had, six re- he had 8 rebounds, 13 points, only 23 minutes. He's got a, It's the playoffs, you know. I, I get that, you know, the minutes are going to get cut down a little bit because of the foul trouble. 
But sitting him for 14 plus minutes is just unacceptable. That just can't happen in the playoffs. You know, you got to play him. If he fouls out, he fouls out. You got to play him. Um, and I, you know, especially after Trey went down, I think you needed to put Collins in back in that situation. And he didn't. You know, he waited till there was eight minutes left in the fourth, and put Trey and Collins back in at the same time. You know, just bad look for McMillan. I think he's been really good um, making adjustments in this playoff run. And but this is a real a real blemish on that for sure. You know, so hopefully he can make up for make up for it with some good adjustments. Um, some more some more um, not good things for coming out of this game. Bogdanovich, three of sixteen from the from the floor, and then two of ten from three, eight points. He was minus two. Um, Bogdanovich has not been very good. Um, I know he's hurt, but he just hasn't been good flat out. Uh, Kevin Herter. He was solid, uh, 4 of 11, 3 of 7 from 3, 11 points. That's fine. Uh, Capella was all right, 8 points, 11 rebounds. He did go 0 for 4 from the free throw line, which you're not expecting him to do great from there, but you want him to make at least one or two of those. Kind of frustrating. Um, Gallinari was overall really solid off the bench. He had some really, really noticeable defensive woes and some plays on offense where he was just really trying to do too much. He had 18 points um, on 7 of 14 shooting and 2 of 3 from 3. Uh, two or two from the free throw line. He was minus eighteen, which was worse on the team, but um, not all. Not all. That's him. Um, it, a lot of it was his bad defense, but a lot of it was just overall defensive struggles for the team. Um, like I said, a Kongwu. He was two of two from the floor. Four points, two rebounds, had a block, had a steal. I thought he was really good. Um, then Lou Williams. Um, he had five points on one of three shooting. He made the only three he took. He made a couple of free throws. Five points. You know, wasn't a big Lou game. Uh, the Hawks are going to need some big Lou games in the future, especially if Trey's going to be 100% if the Hawks want to do anything in this series. And then Solomon Hill didn't take a shot. Um, was just out there defensively, and I don't think he was that great defensively. Um, I saw a lot of complaints of um, using Solomon Hill instead of Cam Reddish since um, they're really just using solo for defense, and they're pretty much going four on five on offense when he was out there. Um, so I would like to see Cam a little bit in this game, just to see what he had. Um, but no Cam in this game. He was a DMP coach's decision, which uh, you would like to see. But overall, the Hawks shot the ball very well. The Hawks shot 40% from three in this game, and they lost, which is hard to do. Um, no, another factor was that they shot 56% from the free throw line. Um, but they were 46% on total field goals. They went 39 of 84. 50 for 37 from three is really good. Uh, the Bucks were pretty solid two from three. They went 11 to 29. That's 38 percent, and they were not good from the free throw line either. But um, it was just really Chris Middleton, man. It was Chris Middleton. He was the hero for this team, and yeah, like he he was just insane in the fourth quarter. You couldn't do anything about it. He was making anything and everything. Finished with 38 points, 15 to 26 from the field, six of 12 on threes. You know, 11 rebounds, 7 assists. He was just everywhere, and he was awesome. He was plus 16. Um, only Pat Connaughton had a higher plus minus. He was plus 25 in uh, 32 minutes, which that is not all him. Uh, trust me on that. Um, he did hit some shots, so. But, yeah, Hawks drop it, 113-102. to 102. Pretty brutal loss. Uh, game 4 will be Tuesday night in Atlanta. So, Pretty much a, virtually a must-win. The Hawks were in the same situation last series against Philadelphia, which I think McMillan mentioned that in his post-game presser, that they were down 2-1 against the Sixers. 
and the, a must-win game four at home. Not a must-win, must-win, but you can't go down three-one against the Bucks and expect to win the series. They gotta, they gotta tie this thing up at two. They have to. So um, yep, game two, or game four rather, Tuesday night at eight thirty, State Farm Arena, huge game, huge game. Um, Trey's health will be of great interest for sure. That'll be the main storyline going into the game. If uh, he's going to play, um, I'd imagine I'd be shocked if he didn't play. He'd have to be like seriously hurt from not play. But uh, I'm expecting him to play and start. Um, the only question is, how is he going to look on the court? Is he going to look like he can? Is he still going to have that same speed to the basket? Is he going to have that um, ability to pull up from long range? All those kind of things are going to be factors and questions coming into Game Four, and he has to be right. And I'm just going to emphasize that if Trey Young is not his full self, the Hawks are not going to win another game. And um, I, mean, I hate to say it, but that's just the God honest truth. They need him more than most teams need their superstars, I'd say. Um, but yeah, that'll be it for all the Hawks talk. And um, now we will get into some um, pretty painful discussions on the Atlanta Braves. I'm not really on the field stuff, which is painful. They were just average this week they went four and four on the week they'd have an eight game week um, as they had a doubleheader on Monday against the Mets but um, I'm not going to talk about the uh, game action first because Saturday afternoon noonish time actually some pretty devastating news dropped um, on Mike Soroka Um, it was it was announced about um, around a week two weeks ago that Soroka could be ready to come back around August because um, then they figured out what was wrong. He had the exploratory surgery surgery on his Achilles and it just uh, turned out that his body was rejecting the stitches in his Achilles and it looked like they got it all fixed up and um, yeah, and it looked like he was going to be ready to go around August. It was, an- it was announced by the team on that they're aiming for that. But um, yeah, at 12.04 on Saturday, uh, the Braves' Twitter account tweeted this medical update on Mike Soroka. This past Thursday, while walking to the clubhouse at Truist Park, Mike Soroka felt a pop in his right Achilles. And then a little follow-up tweet said an MRI was performed, which revealed a complete re-tear of the tendon. Soroka will require season-ending surgery, which will be scheduled within the week. So just an absolute gut punch of news. Um, not only just as a fan, because you would love to have Soroka out there pitching um, in August, like they said that he might be ready for, and just kind of helping this team, you know, get get right and try to get them into the playoffs. But just on a human level, this is just absolutely devastating for Mike Soroka. For him to tear the Achilles in the first place, which was just awful on its own. Um, but then, you know, he had the shoulder issues. Um, then he had the exploratory surgery. And um, things were really looking up, and then for him to just really just tear it just walking into the clubhouse is just absolutely bizarre and just brutal. There's really the only word for it is brutal. Um, you know, all the counts on Mike Soroka is that he's just a great guy. Um, and, you know, he's he's been really good pitching for the Braves, um, especially the 2019 season where he was, you know, one of the best pitchers in the National League, top six in the Cy Young, I believe. Uh, finished second in rookie of the year voting. He was just absolutely awesome in 2019. And um, just for this to happen to him again 
it's devastating. Um, I don't want to make it sound like that he like died or anything, because he didn't. You know, it's, it's he's not gonna die, but this is just um, it's just awful news um, for him and for the Braves. You know, you couldn't really expect too much Hasaroka this year with all the setbacks he's had. But um, you know, he I, I don't I don't think the that he's gonna be back. You know, you could you could aim for him to be back in the middle of the twenty twenty two season, but. If I'm the Braves, I probably don't bring Soroka back until 2023. Um, you know, I don't think the Braves really rushed him back. You know, I think if they, like, try to, like, get him ready for opening day, that's rushing him back. They didn't do that. You know, like, back in, during the offseason, the, like, the timeline was him coming back late April, which is just pretty insane to think about now. Um, but it's just a, it's just a weird thing, man, because he, he pitched in spring training. Like, he actually pitched in a baseball game back in March. So it's just so weird, so brutal. Um, you know, everyone thought that he was going to be back late April and just be ready to go for the season. You know, the Braves kind of relied on him, or they kind of penciled him in to be a factor in this rotation. And um, him just not being able to get back, it's just, it sucks. For the team, but it just sucks even more for him. Um, you know, the same thing happening twice. It's just, especially this injury. You know, it's you know, guys get the Tommy John twice, and it's not good for them. But there have been um, a plethora of guys that have came back from double Tommy John, but double Achilles. It's just like not even in all sports of any professional athletes. This just never really happens. Um, you know, he he. I think he is fortunate in the fact that he is a pitcher. It's not like he's a basketball player or he's playing football where, you know, you're just relying so much more on your right Achilles just physically. Um, he's just – it's not the case for him being a pitcher. Um, still definitely a, a factor, but, you know, it, it used to in the NBA if you tore your Achilles, like when you come back, you're not the same. That was used to. And like these days, you know, like Kevin Durant, the way he's came back, you know, the medicine has really improved for Achilles injury. But, you know, you – you know, it's not guaranteed that Mike Soroka is going to ever pitch again. You know, that that is a very very much up in the air right now with this whole situation. Um, so, yeah, you really hope that he can get back. Um, you know, you don't know if he's going to be his regular self when this happens, um, when he does, if he, when and if he does come back. So you really just got to hope that, that this recovery process, that he, his body can, you know, handle it again you know that his body doesn't reject the stitches again you know all that kind of stuff that just went really wrong for Soroka and his um, whole recovery process so um, that'll do it for the Soroka talk and now I want to talk about um, Marcelo Zuna a little bit because over the weekend there was um, some reporting um, I guess he got interviewed by uh, Hector Gomez I believe um, this was the same guy that broke the news that um, Ozuna was re-signing with the Braves. And um, Ozuna had some quotes um, that are pretty interesting, I must say. Um, the first one, the one that was grabbing the most attention, was um, something that he said to Hector Gomez was, and I quote, with the analysis of the videos, the truth of what happened will come out. And everybody will see that the Sandy Springs police will have to come and apologize to me. Which is very interesting. Um, I, guess, I guess he's referring to, I don't know if there's like security cameras around his house or police body cam footage, whatever it may be. It is very um, an interesting thing to say. 
um, especially in the situation that he is in um, with just, you know, his whole, you know, his whole, like, ability to play for the next year or so up in the air. You know, you might you might think if he was fully guilty that he might just take it and get get things over with. But the fact that he appears to be fighting back here um, is very it's interesting to me. I'm not saying that Marcel is innocent just because he said that at all. Um, I'm just saying there is a history of his wife domestically abusing him too. She has been arrested for it as well. So all I'm saying is that there could be more to the story that was led on to begin with. Um, but still not definitely not saying that he's innocent or anything like that. Um, it's just going to be interesting how this plays out. Uh, looks like it's going to be very messy by the looks of it because it looks like Ozuna is going to fight back full force. Um, he also went on to say in, th in this interview that him and his wife are together as if nothing happened. So that is a um, another thing, I guess, that is of note. Um, but, yeah, just a quick little update on Ozuna. You know, there hasn't been really any kind of updates on him at all since the whole incident went down. Um, but this is the first time he has spoke out since it happened. So pretty, pretty interesting. Um, we'll see how things play out. Um, but I'll, I'll just reiterate this. If Marcelo Zuna did do the things that he's accused of doing, then he should be in prison. And that is that. But if he is, if there is more to it than that was let on, I think he he deserves his day in court and deserves his right to defend himself and um, prove his innocence. So that's what I'll say about that. Um, now we will move on to the game action of the week, which this was a pretty, pretty big week for the Braves. They had a four-game series on the road in New York against the Mets and a four-game series on the road against the Cincinnati Reds. And um, they went 4-4 four and four on the week, which isn't great, but... You know, isn't a disaster either, but they needed to have a good week, and they just didn't really. Um, but uh, we'll get we'll move on to the game action for game one of Monday, which was a doubleheader on Monday, uh, making up some of those games that got rained out in New York around a month ago. Uh, the Braves dropped this game four to two. Kyle Muller got his first career start, and um, I thought that he was actually pretty good. Uh, he goes four innings pitched and a four innings pitched in a seven inning game. So take that for what what you will. Um, so four innings pitch, seven inning game, uh, one earned run, did walk two, only one hit, um, three strikeouts. So a pretty solid outing, especially in the seven inning game um, for Kyle Muller. Um, but uh, he he was not the issue in this game. We'll just say that. Uh, we'll and they um, in the fifth they bring on Shane Green in relief, and uh, Shane promptly loads the bases on two hits. And a um, hit by pitch. So bases are loaded, and then they take Green out for Sean Newcomb with the bases loaded and two outs. It's lefty Dominic Smith up to hit, who is a lefty with reverse split. So he hits lefties better than righties. So they bring in probably the worst lefty on the bullpen, which kind of kind of being blunt there, and Sean Newcomb, and he promptly gives up a three-run double, and that was pretty much the ball game. Um, this game was started by Jacob Degrom for the Mets, so you know you, it's hard to get out of there with a win um, with Degrom on the mound. He went five innings pitched, zero earned, two walks, one hit, six strikeouts. So he shut down the Braves. Um, but the Braves did get two runs um, in this game after the fact, after they were down four to nothing. Um, Ozzy Albies hit a, a two-run homer, but uh, that was all the offense the Braves got. 
And the three-run double from Dom Smith proved to be the difference in the game as they lose game one, four to two to the Mets. Um, in game two, uh, they win one to nothing. And um, very reminiscent of the Sunday night game, the Braves won one to nothing and their only run was on a solo homer from Ronald Acuna. Um, Ian Anderson started this game. He was really good. Five and a third, three hits, zero earned runs, just one walk, five strikeouts. Really good. Really good bullpen. Mentor was good. Will Smith had some issues in the ninth, but um, survived. Um, and, yeah, Ronald Acuna hit his 20th homer, and that was the difference in the game. The Braves win one to nothing, and we will head on to game three of the series. The Braves win this game via shutout again, three to nothing. Charlie Morton absolutely shoves again. Um, back-to-back starts of him just being incredible. He goes seven innings of one-hit ball. Just two walks and 11 punchies for Charlie Morton. He was awesome in this game. Just like his last year against St. Louis, he's absolutely dom- dominant. Um, he has made some adjustment, and whatever it is, it is working 100%. He has been incredible. Um, A.J. Mentor, another good outing out of the pen for him. And Will Smith gets the save. Um, Braves get the three runs on uh, Dansby Swanson, three-run homer. And that was the only run-scoring play of the entire game. For back to back to back games, it was just a homer for the Braves and that pushed them over the top. And uh, Braves win 3 0. They can go for the series win on Wednesday, which is a huge deal. Um, they're originally scheduled to have Max Freed on the mound, um, but Max gets uh, scratched and goes to the 10 day IL with blisters. And um, in his place is Kyle Wright, who was um, pretty atrocious. Uh, one more thing of note in this game, actually. Before I get into the action, um, Ronald Acuna was also a late scratch in this game with um, some back stiffness. Uh, he said um, that the hotel bed gave him back stiffness, and um, this isn't the first time this has actually happened to a Braves player. Chipper Jones actually dealt with something something similar um, with the New York hotel room beds. So not the first time this has happened to a Brave superstar with the beds in the hotels in New York City. Pretty weird, but he Ronald misses the finale of this one and misses game one against Cincinnati. Um, so Dansby Swanson ends up leading off for the Braves in this game. Um, but Kyle Wright gets a start in place of Max Freed, and he was absolutely atrocious. There's no other way to put it. Two innings pitched, five earned runs, three walks, four hits, one strikeout, gave up a homer. Really just took the Braves out of the game immediately. Uh, they go to Tomlin out of the pen. He goes two innings. He doesn't give up a run. Uh, Matza gave up a run. And uh, Shane Green gave up a run, too. And the Braves lose 7-3. to three. Just didn't really have a chance. Kyle Wright just didn't give him a chance. Um, Ender actually hit a home run this game as the Braves kind of threatened. Uh, they cut the lead to down to 5-3, to three actually, but the Mets added two more runs to make it 7-3 to three and put the game away. But, yeah, Kyle Wright just really sunk the entire team, to be quite honest with you. Uh, really no other way to put it. He was just probably the worst he's ever looked, in my opinion. Actually, I take that back. He was pretty bad in the NLCS against the Dodgers. But, um, yeah, he was pretty bad. And the Braves get out of New York with a split, which isn't a disaster, but you would love to take at least three out of four there to um, gain some ground on the Mets instead. It's just uh, an even outcome. You don't get nothing out of that series against New York and now we're on to Cincinnati where it will be um, a bullpen game for the Braves here in game one um, who uh, they have a very interesting starter of Jesse Chavez 
who is a 38-year-old who last pitched for the Braves in 2010. And um, that last game he pitched with the Braves was actually against the Reds as well. Um, he he was traded in 2010 to the Tampa Bay Rays, I believe, from the Braves. And um, he is making his return now at 38 years old. And he is the start, He was the starter for game one. Um, he wasn't very good. Uh, two and a thirds, two earned runs, um, a walk and three strikeouts. So, yeah, not very good at all um, in this bullpen game. He was the opener. They just kind of gave him a shot. Uh, the Braves lose this game 5-3. to three. Luis Castillo was on the mound for the Reds, and he was pretty good for them. Um, Braves did, did score first in this game. Freddie Freeman hit a homer on the first pitch he saw in the first inning uh, to make it one to nothing. Um, and yeah, that nothing really, nothing really going for the, uh, Braves in this one. And it wasn't Luis Castillo, um, correction on that. It, it was a uh, Tony Santaline, I believe is how you say his name. Santaline. I don't know how to say it. Um, my bad, Tony saying your name wrong. Luis Castillo went in game two. Uh, but yeah, Braves dropped this one five to three. Um, Ozzy hit a homer. The Braves threatened late, but um, they just really they really couldn't get that timely hit to put them over the top. Uh, so we'll move on to Friday, where the Braves get a win. Um, Drew Smiley had a good start again. Um, he keeps on having good starts. He's actually been on a pretty hot streak as of late, um, which just kind of flew under the radar. He went six innings pitched, one earned run, uh, three strikeouts. So really good outing for him. Um, Reds, they had uh, um, Gutierrez, sorry, I cannot get that out of my mouth, um, on the mound. He was pretty good for them, too. Uh, Six innings pitch, three earned runs, um, but the Braves had more offense than them. Freddie Freeman had a ground rule double that scored Acuna, but it went 1-0. Dansby homered, um, good for Dansby, and Heredia homered, too, to make it 3-1. Reds got a run late on a Suarez homer, but the Braves win 3-2. So we'll move on to Saturday where they drop this one 4-1. to one. This was the Luis Castillo game. Um, Ian Anderson got the start for the Braves. He was fine, nothing crazy. Um, just a pretty average start for him, but still pretty good. Uh, six innings pitch, three earned runs, nine strikeouts. So solid for him, didn't kill him. But um, Ian can pitch better than that, um, but still just a, it was fine. The Braves were, he, left, he left with the Braves in the game. But the Braves only scored one run in the entire game. Um, it was a Heredia single, and that was all the offense they got. Uh, the Reds got some homers from um, Tyler Stevenson, Jesse Winker, and yeah, that was a difference. The Braves lose four to one, but Sunday they shut out the Reds four to nothing and split the series. Uh, Kyle Muller got his second start, and he was awesome. Five innings pitched, zero earned runs, just one hit, nine strikeouts, and in five innings. So really good stuff from him. Uh, good bullpen, Martin, Jackson, Mentor, Green, Smith, all with scoreless outings as the Braves shut out the Reds 4 to nothing. Um, Acuna has an RBI double, had a homer. Freeman had an RBI single, um, and Austin Riley homered as well. That was the offense for the Braves in this one, and that was more than enough on the shutout, uh, and that'll end the week for the Braves. They're going to go 4-4 four and four on the week. Um, not a disaster, but you know, not good either. Um, and they have another big week up ahead as they have three against the Mets. Um, they're off Monday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, um, at home against the Mets, huge series. Um, then they're home against the Marlins for the 4th of July weekend.
Um, one thing I do want to point out, after this Mets series, they go Marlins, Pirates, Marlins, and the All-Star break. So there's three straight series against last-place teams to kind of get yourself back into it. Um, the Braves need to be well over, over 500 over these next, uh, what is it, 12 games. The Braves need to go on a 8-4 at least run here. At least. they got to get over 500 for the All-Star break if they want to realistically have a chance. Because this is the Braves' schedule after the All-Star break. Just looking, this is looking a bit ahead, I know, but, you know, this these are the games that are going to really dictate if the Braves are buying or selling at the deadline, and they are not easy games. So they open up out of the All-Star break with Tampa Bay for three at home, which Tampa Bay, they're, I don't know if they're in first place in the A least right now, but they're either first or second. They're a well above 500 team and a very good team. Um, then they go San Diego for three at home. San Diego, one of the better teams in the league. Um, then they have the Phillies for four, which the Phillies are the Phillies, um, four on the road. So that'll be interesting. Um, the Phillies aren't bad, but they're not good either, but still not, not a gimme. Um, and then they have the Mets for four, or for five, actually. A five-game set against the Mets. Uh, a doubleheader on the 26th, and then three more games. Uh, so, yeah, a five-game set with the Mets. And then they have, um, on the deadline, they'll be at home for three against the Brewers. So the only team that you're not facing in the stretch that's not a playoff team and is the Phillies. And even the Phillies aren't awful. So just a pretty brutal stretch after the All-Star break. So you really got to capitalize on these um, weaker opponents that you're facing right before the All-Star break. Um, Marlins, Pirates, Marlins, you gotta you got to dominate those series if you want to have any kind of chance here. And they got to take at least two out of three against the Mets this week. So... A huge, huge week for the Braves in their season. If the Braves lay an egg this week, they might be dead. And um, I hate to say that, but they really might be. Because after the break, you got to face these teams. The the Rays, who are at the moment 47-32. Then you you got to face the Padres, who are 47-33. Then you got the Phillies, who are the Phillies. They're 36-39, uh, whatever. Then you got the Mets. Mets are 40-33. and 33. Then you got the Brew Crew who are 45 to 33. So yeah, some really good teams you got to face right after the All-Star break. You got to you got to win these games against the Cupcakes, which are the Marlins and the Pirates and the Rays haven't been that good against the Marlins this year. And they got to be cuz they have six games against them coming up and they got to win like four or five of them at least. And you might even want to sweep them. You got to sweep the Pirates cuz the Pirates are awful. It is on the road. But um yeah, you you need to you need to really show out in these next few series before the All-Star break if you want to have any any kind of chance in the season and if you want the front office and ownership to buy at the trade deadline instead of sell. Or they might not sell, but they might just stay put. But if you want to buy, they got to they gotta win some games in the in the coming weeks. Um, so a big week coming up for the Braves. Um, hopefully it will be a happy podcast next week because the Braves had a good week and the Hawks are able to make their way back into the series. Um, and that's that'll do it for this episode. Um, if you made it this far, thank you for watching or watching. You're not watching, you're listening. Thank you for listening. And um, I'll, I'll see you in the next one. Thank you.